Will you all stand and join me in singing out of the purple Sing the Storybook number 40? We will follow, we will follow Jesus. And we'll sing it three times, number 40. Nussbaum. I'm a fourth year Spanish major. And this summer, I, um, well, I spent my summer with Mennonite Central Committee in Guatemala. More specifically, I worked with an MCC partner organization called Anadesa. Anadesa is located in Panaba, which is a small community right, out of, right outside of Santiago Atitlan. In 2005, rains from Hurricane Stan caused a mudslide that basically buried Panaba, killing hundreds of people. MCC workers arrived to help build new houses and ended up encouraging locals to create a community development organization. And that's when Anadesa was formed. The organization works in several different areas of development. They provide an adult literacy program, children's activities, which includes sports, art, and reading. They distribute water filters, as well as wood stoves to families who are cooking on open fires. They're working on reforestation, as deforestation was a cause of the mudslide. Anadesa employs women with beadwork and weaving projects that they sell at a fair price in Anadesa's store. And these women form a cooperative that also offers lodging to tourists that pass through who want a unique experience, something other than just staying in a hotel. So, for the summer I was a member of Anadesa's team, which consisted of six other adults, all under the age of 30. I worked in the children's program in the afternoons, helped organize and label all the books in Anadesa's small library, worked in the tree nursery, ran random errands, participated in workshops held for the women of the cooperative, and accompanied other members of the team on tours of Panava that were given mainly to English-speaking tourists. My coworkers requested English classes, which I gave to them and, members, and to members of my host family and other members of the community. And they were all enthusiastic students, and this turned out to be my favorite of all the tasks I did during the summer. When I decided last fall that I was going to participate in service inquiry program, I didn't know exactly what type of service I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to be able to use my Spanish. I knew that I might be interested in working with women or the environment, but beyond that, I didn't feel like I was being called in any one specific direction. So during my interview, um, when, during my interview with Mennonite Central Committee, the, with the Mennonite Central Committee Guatemala representatives, when they told me that to work with Anadesa, I would need to be willing to do many different things every day, I felt like it would be a great fit. I would have the opportunity to participate in and learn about various programs or various aspects of the organization. However, more than stressing the importance of any single task I was to complete, the reps stressed 
the importance of building relationships within the community, and being an affirming presence. Living in poverty, having experienced years of military violence and the disappearance of loved ones during the Civil War, especially during the 80s, and then the mudslide in 2005, the self-esteem of Panava's citizens has suffered. And according to the MCC reps, my most important job was to simply be supportive and, of course, to learn. Panava is an indigenous Sutuil Maya community. Upon arriving, I wondered why on earth would I, a person with little knowledge of how an indigenous community in Guatemala functions, with absolutely no uh, knowledge of their language, be qualified in any way to work in this place? But I kept in mind what I had been told about simply being affirming. At times, I was frustrated with how slowly a project would be moving along, or with, or with my inability to communicate verbally with women and children I encountered at Anadesa. But then I would have moments in which I would realize that just because you don't share a language with another person and might not, be, not, might not be capable of helping them in the areas where they most need help doesn't mean that you can't support them and let them know that you care about their well-being. One day during the children's program, I raised my hand to give a little boy a high five. He flinched before realizing what I was actually doing and then smiled and slapped my hand. Hearing children say I can't in regards to an art project they were working on was not uncommon. And I quickly found out that it didn't matter that I couldn't explain to them in suit to wheel exactly how they needed to be gluing or cutting something. What truly mattered was that I was excited with them when they showed me a finished picture or craft. At times, I felt like I wasn't necessarily accomplishing any great task and would become discouraged. But then I would have to remember that it was okay. I didn't need to be creating some brilliant new community development plan or constructing dozens of toilets or doing anything else that we think about when we envision going to do service. It was sometimes sufficient to just be there and work alongside members of the community, learning about their lives and who they are, letting them know that the people of Panava aren't the only ones in the world who care about the people of Panava. While I was able to contribute in tangible ways, such as coming up with a system of organizing the library or helping to haul trees to the top of a mountain to be planted, and while my ideas were valued because they were perhaps new and different at times, the most valuable thing I could contribute was showing my solidarity with the people in hopes of them in hopes of helping them to realize that they are capable and have good ideas themselves. And as everyone who has lived abroad or done service realizes, you receive much more from your host than you could ever hope to give them. My host family and coworkers welcomed me into their home and world, letting me help cook, showing me how to do beadwork, giving me lessons in suit to wheel. And without such giving family and friends, I would have been completely clueless as to how one carries out life in Santiago Atitlan. By patiently letting me figure out how to live in the Sutuil community, letting me show my ignorance about this part of the world, people I encountered were doing me a service, and just as I hoped to be helping them build their self-confidence, they helped me build mine. Hello, my name is Allison Crosby, and I'm a senior Peace and Justice Conflict Studies major here at Goshen. Um, our prompt this morning to talk to you guys about literary relationships that we cultivated over our SIP experience. So I'll be talking to you a woman, about a woman named Diane Girardi. Now the place that I met Diane is at the Catholic Worker in Orange County, California. Um, on the outside it basically just looks like a, an operating um, single women homeless shelter, but the Catholic Worker has a long history of activism. The movement was started back in the 1920s around the time of the Great Depression um, by a woman named Dorothy Day and her co-founder, Peter Marin. The basis of this movement was to kind of um, bring together um, political activism motivated by spiritual belief. 
And so, at least now, at the house in Orange County, the way that this is kind of manifested is through the corporal works of mercy, um, um, giving food to the hungry, clothing the naked, um, housing the homeless. Um, and so this is where I met Diane. Now, Diane isn't one of the women who stays at the house. She's actually a local prostitute within the neighborhood that the house is at. Um, and her main territory is the alley behind the house. And so we do have a lot of interaction with her, but a lot of the time she is um, either intoxicated or very hostile. Um, and so I have had, you know, off and on interactions with her, but never had really got a chance to talk to her or um, sit down and have a meal with her. And I was always super drawn to her. I didn't ever really know what it was, but it was just something about Diane. Um, and one night, I actually got my opportunity. She had come to the door probably around 1 o'clock in the morning um, holding this kitten. She'd found this kitten in the alley, and she knew that one of the women at our house rescues kittens and um, saves them and then adopts them out. Um, and so she had come to the door with this kitten, you know, help me, help me with this kitten. And so I decided I was going to take care of the kitten myself. And apparently, as I suspected, she had come back um, a day, uh, every other day or so, to visit the kitten, ask how the kitten was doing. So I would come out on the front porch, and we'd be sitting with the kitten, and she would love on it, and we'd have conversations. And I had actually started to kind of build something with her, which was really exciting for me. Um, but I found out about a week later that she had been picked up by the police for a, um, a parole violation and was going to do a three-month sentence in the Orange County Jail. Um, pretty disappointing. Uh, and I was end up to leave uh, California the next week to come back uh, to Indiana. So um, it was bound and determined that I couldn't leave California until I had said goodbye to Diane. Um, and so I decided to go visit her at the jail. This is the first time I'd ever visit anybody in jail. Um, and so going to the jail um, and kind of coming around the corner and seeing her sit on the other side of the glass, never really having experience talking to somebody through the glass, using the telephone, you know, seeing this huge organism of what a prison is. Um, and then the the expression on her face and the expression on my face that we both just started to cry when we saw each other um, was really astonishing to me. Our conversation for about 25 minutes wasn't really about anything super important, just kind of minor conversation. Um, but when I was walking out of the jail, I thought, how random is this love that I have for her, this passion that I have for this woman? You know, it's only comparable to an affection that I hold for my mother and my aunts and my sister, you know, where does this come from? Um, and the main lesson I think I took away from this summer um, being in relationship with Diane was um, that your life can lead you to some pretty amazing people if you let it and, and, and produce some pretty incredible things. So that, that was my amazing experience. So, thank you. Please turn with me to number 553 in your blue hymnal and stand, please.
Hi, I'm Tori Yoder. I'm an, a junior environmental science major. And this summer, I headed down south to Evansville, Indiana to work with an organization called Patchwork Central, which for lack of a more precise description, is a semi-intentional community slash not-for-profit hospitality center. This organization is situated in a low-income neighborhood in an old part of Evansville, which suffers from high levels of poverty and homelessness. The non-for-profit part of Patchwork offers programs to the community, such as children's arts programs. They have a food pantry there, a community garden, um, and they also just offer general hospitality to the people in the neighborhood. So I dabbled in a number of these programs this summer, mostly weeding in the garden and um, also working with the children in the children's arts programs. And then there's also the other part of Patchwork, what I called the semi-intentional worship community. Um, which is the community that supports and undergirds all of the programs um, of Patchwork through their volunteer time, um, monetary gifts, and through prayer. This worship community eats potluck meals twice a week, notoriously dessert-heavy, and worships on Sunday evenings. Several years ago, I, like probably a lot of you, read Shane Claiborne's book, The Irresistible Revolution a book about um, one person's experience living in a Christian intentional community in Philadelphia. And this was a community that was very social justice oriented. Um, they all lived in the same house and they shared a common purse. Well, this book got me completely jazzed about the idea of an intentional community. I held it up as the way to truly follow Jesus and um, the way to build authentic community and authentic relationships. So finding a placement in which I could work in an urban garden and live with an intentional community seemed like a pretty, a pretty sweet deal. So therefore, upon arrival, I was fairly confused and disappointed when I learned that some of the members of this intentional, or what had been advertised to me as an intentional community, uh, lived 15 or 20 minutes car drive away from the Patchwork building. And beyond tithing, there was no sort of income sharing at all. Um, so, so what happened to living communally and sharing a common purse and without these aspects, how can Patchwork consider itself an intentional community? I didn't know, so I decided to investigate by in interviewing 10 of the worship community members. So from these interviews, I pieced together a rough 30-year history of Patchwork, which it's um, good to note that 30 years is a lot longer than most intentional communities actually last. Um, and I learned that through this history, they started with a model of intentional community that was closer to what I originally thought of, the more Shane Claiborne-y model. Um, and then it eventually gave way to the worship community of today. So originally, Patrick was started out by three couples that moved to this neighborhood in Evansville. They, um, they agreed to sign a covenant, um, and in this covenant, they agreed to not live in the same house, but to live in the same neighborhood and not to share a common purse, but to give up half of their income by working only half-time and then working the other part-time at Patchwork. And they also decided to make all of their decisions by consensus. So with this covenant sign, they began creating programs and holding weekly worship sessions, which began drawing people, the programs grew, worship attendance grew, and this growth um, and morphing of the programs um, required difficult decisions to be made eventually. The first difficult decision occurred in the 1980s when they decided that they needed to relax the requirements for signing the covenant and being part of the covenant community. They decided that people that didn't live in the neighborhood 
um, could sign the covenant. So that was the first kind of dilution of this intentionality. And then the second dilution occurred later in the 90s when they decided to not make all of their decisions by consensus, but to hire an outside executive director to help them make some of these decisions. So what fueled these dilutions to their original intentional vision? Well, I could go into great detail, but basically it was their desire to maintain the existence of patchwork and in so doing that, maintain the relationships that make up patchwork. Like I mentioned before, most intentional communities don't actually last for 30 years. There's a high turnover rate because as community members grow older um, and they have children that need to go to college, they tend to, um, they tend to have different needs than when they started the intentional community. It's like um, my 80-year-old friend Alan told me, living all together is fine when you're young and fuzzy and cute, but when you get old and ugly and ornery like me, it doesn't work to live all piled up on top of each other. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Patrick's experience over the years is the experience of every single intentional community. Just because the original intentional plan didn't work out for Patrick doesn't mean that it couldn't work out somewhere else or at a different time. And just because many intentional communities don't last 30 years doesn't mean that they were worthless endeavors. However, I've realized that despite these changes, or dilutions, as I called them before, Patchwork has maintained something more important. Um, they've maintained the intentionality of their relationships. Um, the people of Patchwork have maintained their relationships with their neighborhood, with each other, and with God. In every single interview, that um, people spoke of this commitment to maintaining these intentional relationships. As one woman, Jean, put it, People can be totally frustrating and ridiculous and stupid and contrary. I feel like I've seen it all. I mean, we haven't had any knockdown, drag out fights, but we've had some pretty hard discussions over the 30 years that I've been a part of this. But through these challenges, you have made a commitment, and now you have to stay committed to that commitment in order to stay with it and ride it out. So for me, that's the challenge, to stay when it's so bad that you want to walk away, and the blessing is when you do and it works. From my outside perspective, I found that this commitment to, rela to relationship to be true. The worship community welcomed me into their lives in a way that I had never been welcomed before. They value people intensely at Patchwork, so much so that I usually had heard at least three stories about everyone before I actually met them. I knew that normally proper Laura became an animal when she played spoons, and that 80-year-old Alan um, likes to say that he was meant to be born a dolphin, but was accidentally dropped off in Terre Haute by the stork. Um, Patrick celebrates every blessing and they're present for every difficulty that they go through. All of this to say, though while I think that my original understanding of intentional community is a good structure that can enable the building of relationships and the building of intentional families, and it's an idea that I still am interested in exploring further. It's not the only way or the right way to live. Over the course of 30 years, Patrick has changed tremendously, but through it all, they have managed to remain in loving relationships. And so I come to the realization that we hear about a lot on campus, that relationships are what life is about, that it is through relationships that we serve, it is through relationships that we love. And if relationships are our pieces, then it is relationship by relationship that we make peace. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel Fuxbook. 
as senior peace, justice, and Catholic studies major. I'd like to read from Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. This summer, I volunteered at the Washington office of Mennonite Central Committee, which is a relief development and peace-building agency of the Mennonite Church. I worked at the Washington office, which acts as a public witness by monitoring US public policy, facilitating the peace and justice advocacy work of MCC, and also encouraging the church in its witness to the government. More specifically, I worked on issues of immigration, climate change, and other environmental and human rights issues. Um, so I researched government policies and their human impact. I would write articles for MCC publications and websites. I would communicate with uh, congressional staffers and other religious advocates, and also I would communicate with different Mennonite congregations. This experience of advocacy work challenged my understanding of what service really means. I learned that MCC's advocacy work came in response to local people who were concerned that their development projects weren't doing enough to address the root causes of the poverty and violence in their communities. The MCC needed to speak out to the US government about its economic and foreign policies that were causing this violence and oppression. As I served in DC, I came to realize how deeply rooted our work was in the experience of these international service workers and the people they served. We would communicate with these people, listen to their stories of how these policies were impacting their work, their lives, and we would then share these concerns with the church and with government officials. Let me give an example. One of my major projects was to research and develop policy recommendations regarding international adaptation assistance, which works to help developing countries uh, adapt to the impact of climate change and to lessen its negative impact. As I worked on this project, I communicated with volunteer workers in India and Indonesia, listening to their stories, to their, ex their experiences of how their communities were impacted by economic policies by environmental policies, by energy policies. I learned and came to appreciate how closely social advocacy and humanitarian work are interlinked and depend upon each other to hold each other accountable. My understanding of service was also challenged by my struggles to create meaningful relationships. This was difficult at times because I wasn't working directly with the people I was serving. But despite that, 
Relationships were a very important part of my work. As I wrote blogs and articles about federal immigration policies, I remembered my friends, my undocumented friends, who face the constant threat that they could potentially be deported and separated from their families. As I wrote and designed a web page on the U.S.-Mexico border wall, which is causing great environmental destruction and harm to local communities. I exchanged emails with community activists in Texas that I met last year in my Borderlands class. As I wrote about climate change issues, I couldn't help but wonder how my SST host family in Peru will be impacted by water shortages and melting glaciers. These issues were not distant political abstractions. They impacted people I knew and places I visited. These policies had real human faces, the faces of my friends. I was also challenged and encouraged through my relationship with other faith-based advocates. I regularly met with Catholics, Quakers, Jewish people, and other religious advocates who were working on the same issues that I was. We all had different perspectives, different ways of approaching the issues of communicating with constituents and with government officials. But we were all rooted in our religious convictions. We were all concerned about compassion and justice. And we appreciated each other's difference and tried to learn from each other and from our different perspectives. My relationships shaped the way that I viewed my work. And my work shaped the way I viewed my relationships and experiences. As I sought to be a public witness to God's vision of compassionate justice this summer, my understanding of service was transformed. I was able to see service in a wider perspective, learning from those I worked with and those I served, seeing how these policies impacted my brothers and my sisters. It was a blessing for me to walk humbly with God and to share in God's mission of acting justly and loving mercy. Is this mic working? Yay. <laughs> this summer I worked in Eastern Kentucky with SWAP, which is a division of MCC. It's uh, serving with Appalachian people. And um, I actually did construction on impoverished houses. Uh, but actually, of course, a really important part of my summer was building relationships. And one place where I did that was in the tiny little church in this tiny little valley where I lived. And I learned a lot of really cool songs from them this summer. And I'm going to share one with you, which is one of my favorites. And they actually um, made me sing this song for them every Sunday because they liked it so much. <laughs> and it's, I think, a really important one to sing because 
it talks about struggling through life, and I think they really related to that. These were people who were really, really poor, and they struggled a lot, but they had a lot of faith in salvation in heaven and where they were going. So this is called A Poor Wayfaring Stranger. Please join me in prayer. Loving God, we thank you for the opportunities in our lives to serve others. We are grateful for the gifts you have given us, and we know that the use of those gifts on behalf of others is also an offering to you. Let us leave this place inspired by the stories we have heard, that we might see and hear the needs of those around us move more clearly. Lord, 
We pray that you will also strengthen our hearts as we learn to accept the service of others when we are in need. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.